How is everybody doing tonight? Yeah. Thank you, worship team. You did an incredible job. Um, for those of you who are new here or I haven't met yet, um, my name is Julie Hutton. I'm typically up here leading worship a lot of the time, so I really appreciate it when I can just be in the back and receive, and I felt God's presence really strongly tonight. Um, but Tom has decided to give me the mic to share a message. Um, so thank you, Tom. I'm, exci- I'm actually really excited about um, what I have to share. Danielle's like, oh my goodness, what? Olivia, what a shocker. Um, what God's laid on my heart to share tonight. And so to start off the evening, I want to introduce you to some people that are really special to me. Um, I think we've got a picture in the background. Yes, this is my sister and her family. So this is my sister, Kelly. We're just a year and a half apart. I'm the older one. Um, Her husband, Zach, and their little, as you can tell, he is not little. He's like 25 pounds and he's nine months old. So he's what, like 10 pounds lighter than Taylor? She's five. Um, It's crazy. But that's their little baby boy, Layton. Um, So to give you a snapshot of them and their family, they love Jesus, okay, and they love each other. They love people. So it's exactly Kai Alpha's motto. Love people, love God. Um, They met their freshman year of college at College College of the Ozarks. They dated four years, and then they got married after they graduated. And their seven-year anniversary is on Blaze and I's wedding. (laughs) So we're the cheesy family. We're the cheesy sisters that are having the exact same anniversary, and neither of us are mad about it. We're actually really excited. Um, But another little snip, snip bit. I can't think of the word. Um, Was Zach was her first boyfriend ever. So we're two for two as sisters as far as um, same wedding day and marrying our first boyfriends. That's kind of fun. We love each other. We're buddies. She's been like my built-in friend since I was 18 months, 18 months old. Um, but they both got their degrees in education. They love watching Andy Griffith. How many of you know what the Andy Griffith show is? Okay. And it fits them because they live in Branson, which is like old people Missouri. Okay. That's what they are. Um, They're like old souls. They love no-bake cookies. Okay. It's like both their favorite dessert. And they love being around family. Now, if you haven't met my mom's sister and I, if you were to see us together for the first time, you would think like, oh my goodness, they're the same person, just like cloned. Not necessarily look-wise, but mannerisms, like surface-level personality, how we talk. We're super excited and bubbly. But as most families are, Kelly and I are actually night and day. And I say this to be like, she is super sentimental. I'm not so sentimental. I'm getting more so in my old age and she is extremely <laughs> she she is extremely gentle and those of you who are close to me know that is not my go-to. Um so every once in a while I say that because every once in a while when we're together as a whole family when we part ways she'll start to cry. Like when you're in college How many of you cry when you leave your families after a break? There are some of you. Some of you, Nicole, you'll probably never outgrow that. You'll just be like Kelly. Um, But I say all that to say they're one of the sweetest families you will ever meet. If you can't tell, I love them, I admire them, I respect them a whole lot. Um, Kelly and Zach have always wanted a family. Kelly wanted to be a mom since she could talk or walk since and she was playing mom like Taylor does with her little American girl dolls Um, two of her biggest dreams were to be a wife and a mother and God has obviously graciously given her both but not without trials and so I want to share a story about this sweet couple that happened around two years ago Um, Kelly was 35 weeks pregnant with their first child Landon Everything was going well in her pregnancy, and I actually came down the weekend I'm speaking of to attend a shower that her life group at church was throwing her, and we had a ton of fun, and she asked me the day I was going to leave, she's like, will you stay one extra night? She never does that, but she's like, I just really would like to spend some extra time with my sister before I become a mom. She's like, I'm a little scared, and it's like, 
She never asked me this. I'm staying. So I stayed an extra night. The next morning, she got up and went to school. She was teaching fifth grade at the time, and I slept in and got ready. And as I was packing to come back here to Columbia, I got a call from her. And she and Zach were on their way to labor and delivery. Not to deliver, but um, she could hear the worry and the stress in her voice. She thought things felt a little different, and so she called. And as customary, they're like, we'll come in, we'll check you out. Don't worry, everything's most likely fine, but just to be safe since you're this far along. And I reassured her, too. I'm like, Kelly, this is routine. You're fine. You're probably just stressed, and she's a worrier in general. So I drove from Branson to Springfield, which is about 30 minutes. And as I pulled into the hospital parking lot, my cell phone started ringing, and it was Zach. And I picked up, and I answered the phone, and it was completely silent. And my heart just started to sink in that moment, because I'm like, this can't be good. This has to be something, something like emergency. And finally, a few moments passed, and I heard Zach's voice, and it was muffled through tears, Um, He could barely get the words out, and he said, Julie, they can't find a heartbeat. Like, that had been like several minutes, and my, I mean, I was stunned. My heart completely sank down to the pit of my stomach, and I rushed into the labor and delivery wing where they were and um, went straight to the room my sister was in, and the nurse, a good nurse probably, just like Elizabeth Carr, has tried to stop me, and she did not succeed. And I made it there. I'm like, I am your sister. She wants me there. And she's like, oh, okay, okay. We can make this happen. Thank you. Um, And made it in, and we prayed for a miracle. We placed our hands on her stomach, and we asked God to give Landon his life back. But his answer was no. And I have never been in a room with so much pain, so much grief, um, so much sadness than that day and the following days um, that followed after that as they took her through the process of um, giving birth because he was 35 weeks along she had to give birth to um, her stillborn baby and then recovery so I want to ask a question Um, how many of you have had dreams and promises from the Lord like Kelly doesn't have to be to be a wife and mom but promises from the Lord Yeah, everybody should have their hand raised because um, there are thousands of promises in the Bible from God to us. And in Corinthians, Paul tells us that every promise of God is yes and amen through Jesus. Not a single one can be broken. That is very good news. But how many of you have felt like you've had a promise broken or unfulfilled at one point in your life? Okay, I think everybody that raised their hand the first time, raise their hand this time. Um, How many of you had a moment in time where you were sure God was going to come through, or at least felt like he should, like he owed it to you, um, yet he didn't do what you expected? Yeah, (laughs) me too. (laughs) You had complete hope in insert the blank, and you were let down. I would say probably everybody, every one of us in this room have experienced unmet expectations, loss, tragedy, grief. We all do. If you're in here and you're like, I really haven't experienced any of that yet, that is okay, but I'm kind of going to burst that bubble that that's another promise God has in his word is that at some point we're all going to experience something like that. Does this feel like really daunting? (laughs) and overwhelming right now. (laughs) Yeah, a little. My purpose is actually the opposite. Sometimes you have to hear the bad news first to hear the good news. Um, My purpose tonight is to talk about the mark grief leaves on our lives and God's purpose for it. It's to bring hope. It's to bring encouragement. And it doesn't just have to do, like, I'm not just talking about the loss of a person, though that's what we're going to be focusing on tonight. That can be any pain in your life, something that's been done to you that causes grief, that causes heartache, anything like that. Um, So to do that, we're going to look at two great women of God. One, I've already introduced you to, my sister, and the other, Mary Magdalene. Both had uncontainable grief, but they chose to do something with it. So our title for tonight is Grief. It leaves a mark. And our question is, what will you do with it? So for structure, we're going to look at three different choices we have when dealing with grief, 
and the purposes God has us experience it. Um, it's not pointless. There is purpose behind it. And our text for tonight is John 20, um, verses 11 through 18. You can turn to it in your Bible. You can flip to it on your phone or look at the screen behind me. Um, but to give a little background, context clues, Jesus has just died on the cross, and Mary, along with a few others, have gone to the tomb. Um, Mary stays, and she realizes, I mean, she realized with the others, but she stays after them. She realized that his body is missing. So we'll read John 20, starting in verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbani, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. So like Kelly... In this story, Mary is experiencing deep grief and sadness at the loss of someone who is most dear to her. And on top of the pain she's already experiencing at his death, she now thinks someone had the gall to steal his body, it, like to show that kind of disrespect. And her anguish, her pain, her anger is even greater. So she is at a complete loss. She had put her whole hope in God, in Jesus. She believed he was the Messiah, the Son of God, that he was going to come and begin his kingdom on earth then, not die the gruesome death he did. But here she is. All her expectations, all her hopes, they've come crumbling down. So what do we do in moments like this? Honestly, we have a choice. We have a choice in every part of the grieving process, and right now the choice is Will we ignore it or will we mourn it? Thank you, Becca Clay, for that good sounding question. The first question the angels ask, as well as the first question Jesus asks, is why are you crying? Why do they ask her that? Like the angels, Jesus, they know why she's crying. Everybody knows why she's crying. Well, this reason leads us to our first purpose, is that grief beckons us to seek with eyes wide open. So as Mary wept, she literally, she stoops and she looks in, okay? She looks straight into the tomb. She looks directly into the place that was causing her so much grief. She sought with eyes wide open, unafraid to face again and again the pain um, because she desperately wanted an answer. The angels ask her why she is weeping, not to discourage her, okay, from crying, but so that she will search out the reason for her mourning. And I want us to catch this. Um, too often, we try to dry our tears away before we have finished searching out the reason for them. Okay, I think a lot of times like we're like, oh, I'm, I just did this like two days ago. I was talking, um, I was actually talking with Blaze and sharing something God had spoken in a retreat and I started to cry in the middle of a restaurant and I'm like, oh, I need to stop crying. People are going to think I'm crazy. And it's like, but Jesus was speaking to me even then, like, it's okay to cry. It's okay to show emotion. But so many times we think, no, hide it, stuff it down. When we're in pain, it's easier to turn away from what's causing us that grief, to try and suppress it, to ignore it. But truly, the best thing for us to do in um, that moment is to look directly into whatever our tomb is until we find what we're looking for. Maybe better stated what God is trying to show us. So Kelly actually did the same thing 
Mary did. Two days after receiving the news, um, she delivered her stillborn son. She delivered Landon. And she and Zach um, took time together alone with him as an immediate family. And then they invited the rest of the family in. And actually, this just shows their character and heart and perspective they had. The first thing they did when we came in was ask me to pray, thanking God for Landon's life and the time that we had with him. Needless to say, I was actually the last person to pray because I couldn't get out the words. Everybody else in the room prayed before me. Um, that just shows, like, they're good people. And, and they care. Like, they don't take God's gifts for granted. But they just kept holding him. They just kept looking at him. And I actually think we have a pick, maybe a little, uh, but that's a pick of Kelly, Zach, and Landon. And just leave that up there for a bit, if you would. Um, eventually, we all held him, and we all looked at him. And you can kind of tell this in the picture, but, um, I mean, he was perfect. Like, he was fully formed. He was beautiful, like there wasn't any part of him that was missing or um, not the way it should be. And that just made us ask the question, like, why did we lose him? Like, why did God decide to take him to be with him? Um, he was going to be used by God for great things when he grew up. He was going to change their family and make them better. Um, Kelly actually held him for a few hours and then finally let the doctors um, take him away. And they actually, there's this really cool um, professional organization that's called on Angel's Wings, I think, that come in to hospitals and they do free pictures um, for families who lose babies um, at birth or before birth. And they took pictures of Landon. This is one of the pictures they took. Um, and when we went back to their house with these pictures, Kelly just continued to look at them all the time. I mean, she would never put them down. She was always flipping through the book. And at one point, Mom and I, and even Zach, thought, okay, she's looking at them too much. Like, she needs to do something else. Not that she wasn't doing other things, but that was a majority. And it would help if she stopped for a while. And so we approached her and, you know, shared that. And her response was, I don't want to forget him. She's like, I'm looking at him because I don't want to forget, you know, my baby. And the second night at home, um, things kind of switched, and she got tired of feeling like anything, any kind of emotion. Um, she had moved from sadness to anger to numbness. And it was like in a moment you just saw, like, she, you saw that first picture. Even there, like, you can tell, like, in her grief, she's still thankful for what God has done, but there was no light in her eyes. I mean, there was just complete um, numbness there. She started to ignore um, and stopped mourning, and so she and Zach ended up going to bed, and Mom and I talked, and we prayed a bit, and that next morning, she came out of their room, and she looked different. She looked to the way she was before, and I was like, so what happened last night? Like, you seem different than this morning. She's like, yeah, Zach talked to me, and we had a good heart-to-heart, -heart. and she's like, Julie, and this is what she said. She said, I realized I rather feel the immense pain I'm feeling than feel nothing at all. I don't want to become hardened. I don't want to become bitter. I want to, say, I want to stay soft. I want to stay open, even if it hurts, and see what God has to teach me through this. Um, she kept looking. She kept crying to say the least, and in fact, they still have pictures. They have this picture, in fact, I'm pretty sure, and they have a close-up of him, too, on the walls of their home, a reminder of what they've been through and where God brought them and what they have to hope for. Um, our eyes affect our heart, so we can take that picture down. That's probably enough of that one. Um, what we think will just bring more pain to our hearts will actually eventually reveal what we seek and bring healing if we mourn. When you are in search of something you lost, what do you do? Anybody? When you've lost something, what, what's the first thing you do? <laughs> you find your iPhone. You go to the place you last remember having it, right? The place you think you left it and you expect to find it, okay? 
So that's what we have to do with our grief. We have to go back to the last place we remember having joy, because typically that's the first place we experience grief, right? Where there's that loss of something. And we have to seek to find what we lost. So our weeping must not hinder our seeking, okay? The angels weren't trying to hinder her. They were trying to encourage her. Because if we stop seeking, we may miss the overflow of God's grace in the process. Our seeking reveals something very important, and it's another purpose of our grief in seeking with eyes wide open. It reveals that grief is a necessary method of grace. This is a really important point. In fact, Tom has said throughout this semester, if there's one thing he wants to imprint on our minds, it's that there is grace in the process. Grief can open our eyes to things that God wants to address in us. It can humble our souls. It can reveal our sin. It can also make Christ sweeter to us. So some of that is easy to receive. The sweetness of Jesus, yes, give me all of that. Some of it's hard to receive. Humility, revealing of sin, that's not so fun. Mary's grief actually revealed two strong themes in her life. It revealed the weakness of her faith, not so fun, but it also revealed the strength of her love, something really good and encouraging. She wasn't remembering or understanding the words Jesus had said about his death and resurrection. A tragedy happens. He dies this horrible death, and she forgets her faith. She doesn't lose it, okay? It's still there, but it's hidden, and it needs to be unburied. This moment also shows her undying love for Jesus, though, because she just wants to know where he is. Okay, she is not hindered in her by the questioning of the angels, and they're, like, brilliant and bright, okay? They terrified the bodyguards who run away. Mary doesn't care. She's like, I don't care who you are. I just want to know where Jesus is. She's not even hindered by Jesus himself at first, okay? She thinks he's the gardener. She just wanted what her soul longed for. And so I want us to hear this too. Sometimes the affliction caused by our love can cloud our faith or our ability to see God clearly. Tom said this a few weeks ago that pain can blind us to the truth, So after we left the hospital and we made it to Zach and Kelly's home, Kelly actually started going back um, out on their back porch. She'd take her Bible, she'd take her journal and her pen, and she would spend hours there. I'm not just talking about one. Sometimes she'd spend two, three. She'd take multiple trips out there a day. And there were a lot of times that nothing would immediately seem or feel different. Um, But when she, when we first got back, um, I would like play, play the guitar and mom and I and dad, even Zach sometimes, we would sing worship songs and she couldn't sing yet. Okay. She could only sit and listen. I mean, she would cry. She was there, but she couldn't get the words out. And after she started spending more time with Jesus, she actually started to sit down at the piano and play and sing, which is something she's always done. She's a great piano player, and will just do that all the time, but she couldn't for a while. And she started to do that. Um, And in this time, God not only spoke comfort, but he also gave her some answers to the reasons why he allowed this to happen. She experienced nearer and sweeter times than she had ever had with Jesus prior to this tragedy, um, even in the midst of her intense pain. So he showed his grace in those moments. He showed the strength of his love. He showed the strength of her love, but he also strengthened their love. He also showed his grace by revealing weakness. It's crazy to me how similar Kelly and Mary's stories coincide. Um, So as Kelly was seeking out the pain of her loss, a new fear just kind of out of the blue gripped her. And she was like, what is this? She started to ask the question, would he take Zach too? Can you imagine that? Like, you've already lost your kid and now you're fearing that your husband's just 
gonna die too. Um, but she did. She feared God would take Zach just like he took Landon. She'd actually wake up in the middle of the night to check and see with if, see if he was still breathing. Like to us, that's like, okay, that's irrational. He's fine. Like that's not going to happen. But not when you're in that kind of place and that's happened to you. You fear the worst. In this time, though, God was hitting on a root. He was hitting on a weakness of faith that had always been there in her life that he wanted to make right. Kelly and I, we grew up with great Christian families. We grew up in a um, really supporting church environment, all that kind of stuff. She knew God was good. In fact, throughout our time growing up, her relationship was always stronger than mine, okay, with the Lord until we came to college and then we both grew. Um, But after she lost her baby, she didn't feel like he was good anymore. Okay, she knew it, but it's like, well, what you did here wasn't good, so I don't know if you're good. Um, She knew the truth, but she forgot her faith, and she lost trust, just like Mary did, but her her loss of trust was that she wasn't sure if God would be good and do good to her. And I want to stop on something right there, that in the middle of any of our grief or pain, we have to remember that God is still good, and he still does good to us, no matter what we're going through. Jesus was right beside her through it all, but it was hard to believe his true character through the pain of loss. He actually asked her, right, in the quiet place with him, will you trust me with everything? Will you give me full control? And isn't that something he asks all of us? Like all the time, will you give me everything? Will you give me your all? Especially when we're going through a trial. That's one of the graces to strengthen our faith. But she feared if she gave Zach over completely, that God would take him as well. And this is why. Two days before Landon died, Kelly had time in prayer where she verbally said out loud to God, God, I give you back my son, okay, just like Hannah gave back Samuel to the Lord, to do what you would in his life, like let your will be done. Ouch. So her love for her family, in combination with pain and heartache, clouded her faith and trust in who God was and what he would do. She knew what she was feeling wasn't truth, right? because we knew this, this is who God is. So she made the right choice um, to press through till she knew it in her heart in a deeper way than she ever could. Um, God revealed to her, and this, this is really cool, this is what God revealed to her in this time. He revealed to her that the love and the jealousy, like the godly jealousy she had for Zach, the desire to never be parted from him, was just a taste of the desire that he had for her. And that he wanted her to feel for him, like even over Zach, okay? He's like, I need to make sure I'm number one, kind of like the Abraham and Isaac thing. Is that not crazy? Like, and I feel like in anything we go through, that's one of the things God's asking. Like, will, do you love me more? Like, will you serve you? Will you serve me? Will you believe that I'm good, even when the circumstances around don't look like that? We talked about that in the worship experience. You know, when we praise, just like the song we just sang, when we praise, even in hard times, we create this bigger gate to pass through, and we experience God in a deeper way. So when God takes away, when he points out our weaknesses and our pain, it's his grace to give us hope for something better. Hebrews 12, 6 says, the Lord disciplines those he loves. Will we humble ourselves to his refining process and become better? Or will we become proud and unmoving, letting our hearts become hardened by pain? Do we stay in the mess or do we move from it? Will we see clearly because we know pain can blind us to the truth, or let the pain blind us to his goodness. So our second big question becomes, will we get bitter or will we get better in our grief and in our pain? If we choose to let it make us better, we open the door to hope. It's going to get better, guys. It's getting lighter. Um, Which is our second purpose of grief. Grief gives way to hope 
or a poetic way that the Bible says is joy comes in the morning. And morning not as dawn, the sun shining, but morning as in crying, tears, grief. If we choose to ignore our grief and get bitter, we are never going to experience the hope God wants us to. But if we choose to seek in our weeping and we let God refine us, he will blow away the cloud that hides the hope that's yet to come. He will open our eyes and remind us joy comes in the morning. Joy comes after tears, right? The sun, the rainbow, it comes after the rain. So after Mary has been asked two times why she's crying, she is asked by Jesus nonetheless, what are you looking for? Stated some other ways, what would you have? What do you want in place of this? What do you hope for? And what's her answer? She wants Jesus. Nothing more. She loves him. He's first and only in her life, and she just wants him. Nothing else, plain and simple. And honestly, guys, that is the biggest purpose behind any grief, is that we are drawn closer to Jesus. The sweetness, his goodness, just his presence, his spirit. That's I think if this was just like a one-point message. That would be it. think that would hit me that hard. Just give me a second. Guys, I think God's wanting to hit on something there. I think that's why the tears are there too. because he is so good you know like we sing that song um goodness of god all my life you have been faithful all my life you've been so good so with every breath that i am able i will sing of the goodness of god that song was written out of tons of experiences good and bad and if we could get one thing if we could grasp one thing of is just how sweet and how good he is. If you can't tell that's something he's speaking to me like in this season right now, literally the past week, the past three days. And not because I'm grieving anything, it's just because he's like, I want you to understand my love and my goodness and my presence. Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate it. He just wants to be so close to us, okay? He wants to love us so much, and he wants us to love him back, okay? We're never going to be able to love him the way he loves us, but just to have that desire, to have that longing like Mary does, like, I just want Jesus. I don't care about the glory of angels. I don't care about anything else that's around. I just want his presence. God, I pray that you would give us that desire. And I pray that you would give us that longing to want you so much, God, to want to know you so much deeper, that you would be what our soul longs for more than anything else, that there's an old hymn that says, I'd rather have Jesus than anything, God, that that would be the cry of our heart. I pray that you would just continue to speak, and I pray that you would help me to speak through tears. Amen. But there, um, with that closeness about drawing closer to Jesus, there are three big truths that we can have hope in, even in grief. And the first one is what I already kind of hit on with that little tangent, was that we can have hope that he's close to the brokenhearted. So Jesus is close to us even when we don't recognize his presence. 
he's this is funny he's close enough to catch and hold our tears okay that is a really cool thought um psalm i can't see psalm 56 8 Sorry if I look like a raccoon after this. Psalm 56, 8 says, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Tears, like those are tiny and small, but God catches every single one. And if we're being honest, it can be hard to recognize his closeness and find the hope that we're looking for in our grief. When we're troubled, it can be really easy to misrepresent Christ to ourselves and not see the hope that he wants us to see. I mean, Mary was with him for three years, and she thinks he's the gardener of all people. Why would you think the glorified body of Jesus is a gardener? She doesn't realize it's Jesus until he calls her by name, and he says, Mary. And when he calls her by name, she realizes at once that it's Jesus. Instantly, all her tears of grief are dried up. They're probably replaced by tears of joy, so she probably has a continual stream. Um, but what she longed for, what she hoped for, right, I just want Jesus, give me Jesus, has finally come about, and in a very different way than expected, in a better way, which we'll talk about later. Christ brings hope to Mary in her grief with one word. And that's actually the second truth we can have hope in, is we can have hope in his word. So Christ's way of making himself known to us has always been and will always be by his word. His word spoken by him. Okay, you see that at the beginning of time at creation, he speaks into existence and everything is formed. His word lived out. Um, as him, as Jesus, the Son of God, and his word given to us in the Bible, okay? The word of God we have now that we test everything else against. Kelly found hope in those hours of reading and meditating on the truth of his word. God started speaking to her through his word. She wrote verse after verse down about um, the truth of who he is, right? Because that was something she was struggling with and how he is there even in sorrow. She started to experience glimmers of relief, even though she was still experiencing really hard pain. And she heard him speak to her. She heard the beautiful, sweet things, but she also heard the painful things that were still good. Kelsey. Kelly also took hope in another thing Mary did, which was Christ's resurrection. And that's the third truth we can have hope in, is his resurrection. The angels not only helped Mary seek out her tears, but they were actually there to bear witness to Christ's victory. Okay, his power the power of his resurrection um, over everything in this world. So it was over um, earthly authority. The example there being the guards, like they trembled in fear at the sight of these angels and they ran away. But they also were there to bear witness over, um, over Christ's victory over everything that's outside of this world, that being Satan, death itself. The truth here is that Christ's resurrection is our resurrection. Okay, we know that, but there's so much power there. So Mary's not only rejoicing in Jesus' life, but she's rejoicing that her faith is being made sight in that moment. She has new life because of his death. And Kelly took hope um, in the fact that death here only means life after. Her son, right now, Landon, is at home with his heavenly father. Okay, like one day they're going to see him again. So he's experiencing life to the fullest now, more than we are. And one day, because Kelly and Zach both love Jesus, they're going to get to be with him, with God. Like, how amazing is that? And that's what's eternal. This is just temporary. Kelly and Zach also realized, this is a really cool thing, that everything they had asked for with Landon happened. <laughs> just in a way they didn't expect, they didn't want it, to be honest, okay? That was not their first choice, but it was God's. Um, they prayed that he would know Jesus. He knows him better than they do. He knows him better than we do. He's really happy up there. He doesn't want to come back. They believed, too, and they prayed 
that they would be pushed into a new depth with God because their desire to be a good example to him. They are good parents. Um, and Zach actually told me that we, we, mom and I stayed a whole week there um, just helping with stuff and being a support. And he told me that week um, that God kind of opened his eyes. He's like, Julie, I, and he said, he's like, I realize this prayer is coming true. He's like, and I did, he's, he's just like, I'm blown away. But he was like, I feel like God gave me this picture and this desire. And he said, I, I have this drive and I have this desire um, and just this new determination to live more fully and more abandonedly to God because he wants Landon to be proud of him as God allows him, okay, if God allows him, I believe he will, to see how his life is affecting his parents and affecting others because of what God did there. That's so crazy. They prayed that his life would impact many for the kingdom. I will share some examples of how that happened. It has, and it continues to, even like tonight, okay? You're hearing his story. But I really want us to catch this life and death thing because there is an undying and there's a universal truth here. Um, Missy put it at Girls Retreat that death now means life later. So track with me here, focus, because there are going to be a lot of words. Um, There is a physical reality in this kind of death, loss, and grief that reflects the spiritual reality of what happens when we die to ourselves. Okay, so a physical, literal, spiritual death is kind of more figurative, even though that's more real, but hang with me. God isn't afraid of death, right? God embraces death because he knows it means life. I mean, if you look look at the creation story and look at Adam and Eve in the garden. He banned them from the garden so they wouldn't eat the tree of life, so they, w- so they would eventually die, okay, because he wanted them to die, one, to their human nature, but to actually die physically so that they could be with him again eventually. So he does not fear death. He allows it to happen because it brings us to him. So our death now... Um, Our physical death means immediate eternal life with him as a believer, okay? Our death now to our human nature means immediate life in the spirit. And that is actually the real precursor to life with him eternally. And it's not if we don't put our faith in him. So he's showing us again, even in the pain of losing a loved one, that nothing on earth is forever. This is just a shadow. He's showing us... um, that death in any, well, let me reword that. Death in any sense is never fun, okay? If you're the one experiencing it, as far as like dying to yourself, that humbling process, not, not like, yay, this is awesome, rainbows, roses, all that kind of stuff. And it's not fun for us if we're the ones left to deal with it, if someone else dies. But it's wonderful on the other side. Because it means life more abundantly. It either means life more abundantly like him now when we die to ourselves or finally with him when we physically die. Our death, our grief, his death, his grief is the literal doorway to heaven. If you've grown up in the church, you've heard the term, it's the blessed hope, okay? We look to when he comes again. That's that that's the doorway we should embrace this and so that begs one last question will you be selfish or selfless with this hope and our last purpose for grief is that grief moves us to comfort others to take action so when mary recognizes the voice of jesus she responds by calling him rabbi and that means teacher master um it's actually the highest form of that particular word that gives the greatest respect and authority so she was saying i am still yours i'm your servant use me as you would to do whatever and so as her master (laughs) i get a kick out of his response he gives her a command and says Don't cling to me, but go find my brothers and tell them. Jesus is telling Mary by saying, don't cling to me, that she can't expect to have the same relationship she had with him before. He is forbidding her to get comfortable in her new joy 
and he leads her to treat him as she will have to when he's ascended to the Father. Now, at first glance, I think this, and I assume a lot of us would think this, that that's kind of harsh, Jesus. I mean, Mary has just been in tremendous grief. She has been sobbing. She has been weeping. She has been unconsolable. And not even moments after he comforts her with his presence, he turned around and pretty says, okay, let go of me. Get to work. (laughs) What? Okay. After After I am in intense pain, I don't want to immediately get up and go do something, okay? Definitely not go get back to work. I want to spend time with people who love me. I want to take time and recuperate. And I'm not talking about little things. I'm talking big, no, this requires grief. This requires mourning. Kelly, she needed a whole lot of family time, okay? Um, (laughs) This is kind of a funny little thing that happened at the hospital but right before we left she looked at Zach and one thing you need to know about Zach to understand why it's funny is that subtlety does not um what's the word I'm looking for he doesn't do well with subtlety okay like very thick-headed I mean he's very intelligent smart awesome but he doesn't pick up on things so you just have to tell him like face value and she looks at him and she goes just so you know I'm going to need a lot of extra cuddle time. And it was just kind of like one of those like um, comical like humor relief in this, you know, like awful situation. We all kind of chuckled, you know, but he was like, okay, I can do that. Um, It was just a really sweet moment. Jesus is not saying to forgo that, okay? He's not saying to shorten the time of grief and being comforted and letting our souls be revived. And I honestly believe that his word in that moment, did all of that for Mary. I mean, he's God. He can do whatever. His word, though, in Mary's situation, revealed that what she was mourning wasn't even real. So there wasn't a need to keep mourning because he wasn't dead. He was alive. Yay! It's awesome. Um, What he is saying, though, in Don't Cling to Me But Go, is that he doesn't want us to stay in that place of only being comforted forever. Okay, so hear this. We have new purposes to fulfill after we've experienced grief. You have new things to do. Yay. He is also saying that our relationship with him will not be the same after. It will actually be better if we make the right choices. Okay, if you ignore and if you choose to get bitter, your relationship will not be the same. It will be worse. But if you choose to mourn and if you choose to... um get better, your relationship with him is going to get better. Jesus wasn't going to be with Mary in physical form anymore, and he didn't want her to hold on to the old way of things. He was going, as we know and we experience today, send his spirit to be with her every single moment. And even then, he was training her to live in a deeper relationship with him, walking step by step with him to fulfill his purpose, which is exactly what he has for us now. So when we experience a death in our lives, that being physical, a loss, or spiritual in some way, literal or figurative, it marks us. It changes us. And because of that, we cannot be the same. We're going to go one way or the other. We're going to get worse or we're going to get better. Please choose the better. Because if we do, okay, if we choose the right stuff, we seek a deeper depth, we experience a wider grace, we have a fuller hope, and therefore we have a new and different relationship with Jesus just like Mary. If we kept our new experience, our fresh understanding, the greater joy to ourselves, we would be selfish and we would waste the process Jesus just took us through. So in order to prevent that, he beckons us to serve him. Jesus prefers public service over private satisfaction. I will say it one more time. Jesus prefers public service over private satisfaction. We see that um, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. So we're comforted to comfort others. We're blessed to be a blessing 
we die to ourselves so others can live. As I said before, Kelly and Zach prayed that Landon's life would impact many. And because of their obedience and service to share with others, that actually happened. And you can see God's handprints all throughout the process. And I want to say that's a truth for all of us, okay? In any great grief and any pain we experience, if we look with eyes wide open, you can see God's handprints throughout the process. Um, at the hospital, the staff were touched by Kelly and Zach's response to Landon's death. The first thing they saw them do was pray together. And shortly after that day, I mean, in the days following, we sang, we would sing like a couple worship songs, like some old hymns that our family likes. And that may seem weird. You guys just sing together, you know, in hospital rooms. But if you know my family, on my mom's side, all they do is sing. I thought it was normal that every family at family re reunions, they just sang together and they sang for each other. That's not normal. Um, so it's par for the course in our family. Um, and the last day, the nurses said that their faith was the talk of the floor and causing people to take notice. And a door actually opened up. Nicole, you're going to like this. Um, and Kelly was able to volunteer at a women's pregnancy clinic. She was able to help women who've experienced loss and counsel women who were thinking of aborting to choose life and give other options that were available. And because they live their grief and hope out loud, they've been able to walk alongside many other couples who've experienced the same thing and bring them comfort. They, I've never experienced that kind of grief. I pray that I never do you know, that situation, but they taught me a new level of surrender and love for Jesus through watching them. And so I want to say that for us, don't be afraid to live your grief and hope out loud, okay? Other people around you need to see it. And Mary, who was the only one who stayed to seek with tears, had the joy to report to Peter and John what she found. She found something better than what she thought. Not just the body, but the living, glorified body of Jesus, the Savior and King alive and well. And she couldn't hold the good news in. She had to go and share it with others. And we are tasked with the same honor and responsibility as she to share the good news. I want you to think about the grief and sadness you've experienced in your life. And I bet you anything, there are or have been people in your life who have or are going through a very similar thing. If not, there will be, okay? Will you allow Jesus to take you to a new depth with him so you can go and comfort them? It's really amazing how comforting others brings about the fullness of our healing, okay? There's a whole new level of freedom and joy when we walk with others through the places that we've already been. And I think sometimes as humans, um, we can get scared to go back to those places that really hurt us in the past because we think, well, if I talk about it, if I'm open about it, it's like I'm going to relive it and I'm going to feel it all again and I'm going to struggle and be brought down and we think it's going to hurt us. Guys, it's not going to hurt you. It's actually going to heal you. So if you would go ahead, bow your heads, close your eyes,